Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman, London, where we look at how technology is changing the way we communicate our relationships with brands and each other, and ultimately society. We are going to talk about IFA today. It is um, just gone past in Berlin. Um, it is one of the largest and continuously growing consumer electronics shows uh, in the world. Uh, and to discuss that today, I have Tim Weber, Senior Director in London Technology and former Business and Technology Editor of BBC News Online. So welcome, Tim. Hello. And we also have George Gellini from the London Technology team as well. Thanks, Simon. It's good to be here. Thanks for being along. Tim, I think you now are just behind Justin in terms of the most appearances on this podcast. So one more and you can be tied for that record. Hey. <laughs> Do you have a stamp, like a stamp book? Yes. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, every 10th episode you get one free. That's oh, good. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, guys, uh, first question was, how was EFA this year? You know, um, hopefully you've had a little bit of a rest. How, how, how did it all go? Uh, crazy six days or seven days. Uh, it's incredibly intense. There's just so much happening and uh, going through these halls. I mean, okay, here's one tip. If you do a step challenge, then go to IFA because <laughs> it's such a sprawling area. You walk and walk and walk for hours uh, and it's quite brilliant. It's, it's total technology overload. I mean, it, it, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, the seven, seven days of, of kind of craziness intensity that you kind of bring upon yourself because you want to get the most out of it as well so it's kind of a there's a double-edged sword and you kind of yes. you want to enjoy it but also no sleep you kind of you take that that's kind of a, a given when you go to evil yes. basically absolutely and so i guess the first question to cover off for those that don't really know much about it um maybe tim you've been um Addy for a number of years like what is it first of all what does it stand for because I, I, I yeah. tried to pronounce it but I think <laughs> yeah. you got an advantage so so IFA and, and I think they try, kind of try to forget what the name stands for okay. Okay. but it stands for Internationale Funkausstellung which effectively means International Broadcasting Exhibition and that's where it all started in 1924 uh, for people in the radio industry when radio was a new thing uh, and they had it I think every second year in the beginning um, to just see how broadcasting was developing, how radio programs were developing. Then uh, television joined it. Actually, the first color broadcast in Europe, regular color broadcast, was started at IFA. And um, then uh, it's gotten bigger. And 10 years ago, they did something quite intriguing. They added home appliances to it because they thought consumer electronics, which back then was mainly audio, television, these kind of things, a few computers and home appliances, they were all parts of our electronic life and digital life around us and that really transformed the event, made it much much larger, made it much more international and the amazing thing now is, and that's why they don't really say Funkausstellung, a broadcasting exhibition anymore, it, it's so much wider, it's a whole range of consumer electronics and home appliances and these are of course two sectors that right now are completely mashing up, it's a convergence because everything becomes digital, everything becomes part of not just Internet of Things as a buzzword but, but they are all getting connected and, and that's why this is such an interesting place because you see so many different industries coming at the same thing from so many different traditions and, and to see the differences how they approach it, it it's really intriguing. I, de I definitely want to get into some of the um, more interesting things that are launched because uh, some of the articles I've been reading have been pointing towards some um, 
very niche products, I think is probably the best way to describe it. Um, how, to, to me, it seems that IFA is one of those uh, events that we all know about here in, in Europe, um, but uh, maybe those who are um, not from the region might not be familiar with it or might just be relating it to CES and so on. Like how, how is IFA different to these other larger uh, consumer-focused shows, yeah, such, such as CES. Well, you say other larger. Uh, the, the guys uh, at IFA, and disclaimer, I'm working uh, uh, with uh, IFA Berlin, um, but the guys from IFA would say, actually, they're the largest. Certainly, n number of visitors they are, 250-plus thousand people coming there over six days. And they have more exhibitors, they have more trade visitors. But it's a different beast. Um, it... Uh, doesn't quite have the total madcap atmosphere of, say, Las Vegas and CES, uh, which is weird because it's, uh, everything is more compressed. Maybe not quite the size of IFA, a bit smaller, but more compressed, so it feels even more manic than IFA uh, because they have just less exhibition space uh, in, in Vegas. So that is different. Vegas also is more into... Uh, digital mobile IT devices. Mm -hmm. They've uh, added a lot of automotive recently. Home appliances are missing and clearly television and audio is drifting away, is disappearing from uh, from the show. So it has a bit of a different technology flavor. Um, then there's of course Mobile World Congress. Now, I have a horrible confession to make. I've never been to Mobile World Congress, uh, but, but Simon, you, you're the guy there. Oh, uh, this is very strange. I've always yeah. sent, when I was at the BBC, I always sent people to report from there, but I never went myself. Stupid, isn't that? But, but that, that's, the yeah. fascinating, that's the fascinating thing, I think. You know, Simon and I, we've both been to Congress. And, yeah, this year was great. Uh, I think I've done three or four years, uh, four years, I think, at Congress, maybe with a, at a year off, maybe once, and then I've done, this is my, my third year in a row at IFA. And that's the interesting thing, though, is the diversity of, of products and companies and, and brands, not just from a global point of view, but from a more local point of view. I always feel with IFA, there's much more Europeanness to it than there is a, a Congress. Congress feels global because it, uh, you have a lot of um, a lot of those big network companies. You know, the hark back to when it was just networking. Yes. Whereas IFA, I feel like you get you get brands that are less well known in the US and even sometimes in the UK, but they're European. The, you know the continental European brands. Although, although it depends on which bits one walks, there are certain halls, uh, and suddenly you see all these companies that you think, I've never seen these guys. What is that? And they seem to have everything, every flat screen television. They do their own tablets. They do their own smartphones. They do their own stoves. And they're companies that, just as a consumer in Europe, you never know. Good example is Vestal, which yeah. is a Turkish company. Yeah. And you walk in, you think. They have everything, yeah. let's say a Samsung or a Sony or a whatever might have. Amazing or fridges, Panasonic and, TVs. And all these things. It's all very... And, uh, so, uh, or uh, um, I walked into a place and there were several, not one, several Chinese companies whose names are just not that well known. I mean, not higher, but really companies at CNC, for example. And they seem to have the full range of everybody else they're clearly very big in their in their home countries and they just pop up there I mean this is the amazing thing there are 1800 plus uh, exhibitors there big brands and um, the, the breadth there 
that is quite staggering. Well, CS, for example, I always feel feels quite strongly American. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there, there's a, of course the Asian companies, the Samsungs, the Panasonics, the Sonys are all strongly there. But yeah, there's as you said more of a European yeah. flavor um, to Berlin in a way. Mm. A lot of brands, although, <laughs> although a lot of the brands that I've seen, uh, and I betray my age. But the Telefunkens of this world, the Grundigs of this world, these were big, big brands in the 70s and early 80s, and they all disappeared. And when you walk the halls of IFA, they're all back again. And you think, what's going on? Until you realize somebody bought the brand, is putting usually Chinese uh, money and technology and manufacturing into it, but is bringing these brands back to life. So it's nearly a nostalgia trip, except, of course, it's all modern and it's just the brand that's living on. And, I mean, yeah. that was one of the biggest things out of MWC this year, right? It was um, uh, the Nokia uh, phone coming back. And, you know, when you when you read all the articles, <coughs> everyone was saying that, oh, my God, this is, you know, it's great. There's a nostalgia factor. And then you actually go and find it in the, in the corner of the... Um, the Fira in Barcelona, and it's just tucked away in a little corner, and people were having a look at it, and it was yeah, it was great to do, um, but it sounds like from what you guys are saying, this nostalgia, this going back to um, you know what we knew ten years ago is coming back. I mean, is that is that fair to say? And also, if so, why do you think you know people want to see that kind of thing, or why are brands doing that? The whole point is that brands are the guide of the consumer to technology, you trust in a brand, and that, that's, that's the whole thing. If you go to IFA and you just look around all these laptops, phones, tablets, smart fridges or whatnot, you get completely overwhelmed. So who do you believe? Uh, now you can either buy it on looks and the design, mm -hmm. and actually, uh, another thing, this year's IFA I really felt there was a leap in the quality of design. It just got better throughout. In previous years, some of the things looked yeah, functional but not well designed. This year, everybody's really trying that much harder. But then beyond the design, it is the brand. Um, and that's what makes companies stand out and what consumers use as a shortcut to go past the spec and just say, okay, if it is a brand X, then... I will trust it, then I will buy it, then it probably will be good. Yeah, I, th I think, I don't know, it, it, the whole thing is kind of interesting, that, that the way that, um, like for me, if I really crammed in this year, like compared to last year, for, for, I don't know why, but it just felt like there were more things going on all the time. Mm. Um, it felt very busy. Um, I agree with you, Tim, I think design of both the products and the stands yeah. was a leap up. You know, you walk through and everyone's turned up well and it feels like it's the show to be at because it's so broad and then you start combining products and services that if you're if you're a steamer for your for your wardrobe for closing your wardrobe or if you're a washing machine or um or a pair of headphones whatever you're part of a bigger ecosystem because the show's about the world you live in it's not it's not about standalone mobile or just pure tv yeah. or something and actually nearly everybody tried to show how things hang together mm. so you know three four years ago the smart home appeared at IFA, and you kind of thought yeah it's a bit standalone it doesn't quite hang together and this year was the first year i really really felt 
things start working together. Uh, the number of implementations we've seen for a Google Assistant, for Alexa, uh, that was really, really massive. Yeah, from an Alexa-powered television to Google Assistant in devices that you just didn't expect it to be in, that's just coming together. And, and the way they showed how things work together, brand agnostic, yeah, there were quite mm. a lot of brands who happily showed how their stuff works with other brands. That was actually mm. that's a killer because that was a killer before when when it was a walled garden and things would only work mm. with your own brand. Mm. And everybody is trying to demonstrate that, isn't? It? And that also made the smart home much more believable. And and that also is the whole thing why this this combination of home appliances and consumer electronics turns out ten years on to be a stroke of genius simply because it all fits together now. Yeah, you know, again, my, my, my caveat is that I was there working with Samsung and um, one of our guest speakers at our press conference was a guy called Matthew Perry. Um, the biggest disappointment for everyone was that he wasn't the Friends actor, wasn't, wasn't Chandler Bing. <laughs> yeah, Chandler just uh, didn't show up and crack sarcastic jokes. <clears throat> exactly. Um, but instead, actually, he, he's uh, the president of an organisation called the OCF, uh, which is the Open Connectivity Forum, and um, or foundation, sorry. And... Um, and there, that's that's the whole their whole you know reason to enter. That's like they want to bring together different brands, product services to talk to each other to be this connected ecosystem. And you know, there's people from Microsoft, you know, Matthew Perry's from Microsoft. There's people from Intel, from Samsung, all part of this 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 group yeah. who are trying to open the world up a bit more and, and allow things to talk to each other. Yeah. So, so so let me ask you this question: There's there's lots going on. There's lots of different devices, and it seems like everyone's getting along a lot better than they previously were. How how do brands stand out? You know, if if you're, you know, it sounds like a, the the playing field is leveling. Uh, well, on the upside, um, there are six thousand journalists uh, from about seventy countries at IFA. So there's a lot of journalistic eyeballs uh, going around. Having said that, they all go, of course, to the same events: the Samsungs, the Sonys, the Huawei's, and so on. Um, if you want to stand out. Uh, you can't just rock up, have a wonderful booth and say, come and see me. You really have to lay the groundwork way in advance. I mean, it's not just the big brands doing it, uh, and especially because the big brands, and I'm looking at George now because George and his team were working for weeks, if not months, yeah, no, ahead it. of that to, to get everybody ready uh, uh, to to meet uh, Samsung and so on, but everybody is doing that. So how do you do it if you're a small brand? And that is quite a challenge. Uh, one way of doing it is um, by being in the right place. Uh, so for startups, uh, they did something quite clever this year. They called it IFA Next, and they brought a, in one big hall. They brought all the startups together, and they created a really funky room. And there was everything from robotics uh, to a smart home uh, to clever toys for children um, and that had a lot of vibe I mean the, the number of people in that hall it was constantly constantly packed even though it was at the edges of the whole thing and so if you then are in that right place even if you don't reach out to journalists before you'll get there that's okay but I think you really have to highly target the right journalists and arrange to meet them way before and then you have to think if you're not one of the big brands because everybody will congregate what is your timing when do you meet the journalists stay way clear 
of the big events, the Samsung, the Sony, the whatnot press conference, then you will be able uh, to, to maybe uh, get a time uh, in their diary, provided of course you have something interesting to say. Well, no, that's, that's the crux of it, I think, is that you know, making sure you have a story to tell and uh, I think the, the prep work and the, the pre-trade show, whatever trade show it is, work is really, really crucial because there's no point you know, trying to send a, a, a dud e email to a journalist the two days before the you're trying to put some kind of show on uh, at your booth on the floor at IFA because it's going to be impossible to kind of drag them away from something that's probably been planned for months. Yeah. Um, and Tim is an ex-journalist, I'm sure your diary used to get kind of bl block booked, you know, yeah. a month in advance. So it's kind of, it's really hard. And Double booked and then you drop out at short notice yeah. whoever looks more attractive at the moment. Exactly. And I think you have to pick and choose your moment. And the joy of IFA is that it's open to consumers, right? So it's not just about press, whereas... Uh, or, or you know, channel partners mm. or whatever it might be but with other trade shows most of the time it's, it's journalists you're there for and you're mm. there to tell you know, a new story so, so I'd love to um, delve a little bit more deeper into what you were doing um, George but before we do that um, as we do on Sideload we're just going to take a quick, quick break and listen to uh, one of the previous episodes or what actually happened on the last episode which is all about what you do in the case of a cyber hack and I think it is really important to to realize that cybersecurity should not be an afterthought, and you really need to be able to pull in your um, your CISO, your chief information uh, security officer, as soon as possible, because that's that's the issue. Often you see that. Um, the C-suites and the boards will only kind of find out about breach very late uh, in the process and just need to make sure that you really give one way or another uh, a seat at the table to someone who's really kind of be, who can be the champion for cybersecurity within a firm and to really make sure that very early on they're able to kind of prepare for anything that might happen because it will happen eventually or it, it is very likely to be the case. So that was the team talking about cyber hacking and what to do in case that eventually happens, which unfortunately is becoming more and more commonplace. Um, but before the break, George, you were talking about um, you know making sure you do all the prep work, and you know I witnessed along with many other people, you know the the, the time and the hours, the blood, sweat, and tears that you and the team put in beforehand. Um, you know, some would say that working with one of the world's biggest consumer electronics brands, um, you know, you've got a lot of the work done for you because the, the product is, is great, the products are great, people are expecting it, but that downplays a lot of the hard work that goes into it. I mean, what do you, what do, you um, do? What's the important stuff to do to make sure it's still a success? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, and I've been in DIFA with, with, uh, with clients or brands other than, than Samsung as well, so... It's it's and it's a similar it's a similar approach. Um, it does come down to telling the right story um, and telling a different story, something new and different, and giving access to specific journalists. Um, a lot of the time, I think, um, you know, a lot of the time you need to it's horses for courses, which is a you know quite a colloquial phrase. But if you want to tell a certain brand story, go after the brand journalists who are going to be interested in the deeper story. If you're um, announcing a new fridge iron, you know gadget whatever it might be or a neck roller I've seen as well neck roller yeah. you know smart yeah. neck roller yeah. whatever whatever it might be um, then then you kind of need to go after the guys who are going to write that story in those product pages um, you need to work out what your objectives are and be really specific on what you want to achieve because if you're just going going oh we're going to get loads of coverage 
that's not enough to really be specific that yes there are 6,000 journalists going however there's you know many more brands than there are journalists and so filling that you know that they don't compute quite together and you get you know 2,000 journalists to a big press conference at a Samsung or a Sony or whatever it might be you know there's 2,000 people off off the ground who aren't going to be at whatever you want to do whether it's a salon dinner or a round table so again picking your moments I think is really really important and having those objectives is just the, the, the biggest critical point and the other the other big question is that lots of brands ask themselves is do we need to be at a trade show do we need to spend the money on the mm. the the footprint on the floor like how, how do we show up there is it worth the spend mm. and I think you know some of the time the answer is no uh, but I think you've got to pick what you want to achieve and yeah. if, if it's, the achievement is not just media coverage it's a lot of other stuff yeah. then it's definitely worth it because it's so, one of the biggest shows in the world exactly I mean this this is the interesting thing uh, I found that this year quite a number of American brands that you would expect at a show like that but who hadn't been there are now present at Dell, Amazon, Alexa, IBM, just some of the brands that are realizing an event like IFA in that pre-holiday season, Thanksgiving, uh, Black Friday, Christmas, New Year season is really, really important. You, you can't skip that. And that, that's the one thing. The other thing is, um, even if you're a big brand, maybe sometimes that's a handicap because mm -hmm. people expect that you move mountains anyway. Mm. So if you're small and, as you said, George, have an interesting story to tell and excite either the consumers that are there, and you know, I think about half of the visitors there are consumers, which is, uh, if you do something nice there that can go viral, then you have a fantastic opportunity. So for example, uh, well, you know, storytelling, drones. Um, drones was a big thing, of course, this year. And there are more drones there that you throw a stick at, but there were industrial drones. There was another drone that was about the size of an iPhone 4, would only fly three minutes, but it had a camera in it. It was tiny. Um, uh, but then if you have a story, uh, one was a company that had Star Wars drones. They had TIE fighters oh. and... Uh, X-wing fighters and they were shooting real lasers and they had sensors and when they were hit by a laser I think three times and they had to have a forced landing and had to, could only rise again after a minute's wait and you could fight so, so proper could, battles. Amazing. So you could do drone laser tag. Basically. You can do drone laser tag and That's I watched amazing. it and I thought Oh, that is very, very, very nice. I mean, it was very cool. So, but so you see sometimes really unexpected things. Um, companies that play their cards right and either do something viral with consumers or grab journalists that are just interested in a specific story. Uh, you can have a home run, even in such a manic, such a huge event there. But, but don't forget, I mean, the reason why people are there is not just to make journalists happy, important though that is they do real deals they really as I, I think something like what 4.7 billion euros of deals over six days that's quite massive and and for example the drones the guys with the star wars drones i by chance heard there was one guy saying hi i'm with the largest electronics chain in country x i've never seen that let's talk mm. 
Yeah, that's how deals are made. And that's yeah. quite that's quite powerful if you're a brand. And that was not a big company. That's not a, okay. They had licensed that, but everybody has licensed Star Wars by the looks of it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And partnerships were a big thing actually. Like both kind of commercial ones, like in terms of Star Wars products or or other kind of you know movie franchises playing into that, but also brands. So I saw a number of stands which were basically partnering up to bring something to life. And mm-hmm. um, the one that stuck out for me and it is a client as well but not of mine of, of HP and they had their gaming PCs Omen mm-hmm. used by a um, professional gaming team on a, on a separate stand so lightly branded with the HP branding but actually it was the guys who were playing the games that kind of brought it to life and with the, the draw the attraction for the crowds you know going around them watching these guys do whatever they did you know to other people in the other parts of the world and you know the sound was blasting and it was very exciting much more interesting than having the product on a booth you know on a plinth with a light shining on it, you know, it was bringing it to life, making it real, and connecting the consumers to actually the the reason you buy the product in the first place. Mm. Which is really nice. I mean, for, for me personally, I mean, it's not just about the specs and, you know, what it can do, but it's how it enriches your life and makes things better. So it's really nice to see more brands doing that and actually showing in situ, in partnerships, and, you know, how it's enriching people's lives, which is, which is really great. Yeah, I think that, that's the, you know, Tim said it earlier, I think, as well. Ethos really is about uh, your world and your life and about things that can make your life better and easier and through technology and they might be the gadgets that make your life more fun and are entertainment based but they might also be the connected devices that sit in your kitchen, your living room, your utility room with your washing machine, whatever it might be and, and then yeah there are things, there are smartphones there as well yeah. but it's much more about the bigger ecosystem about how things are yeah. talking to each other and connecting and making your life better. Mm. Um, you walk through, I love walking through the little underground bits and it's mm. kind of you get, you get put into a, a route where you can only get out one way because yeah. you have to get past every stand at that point. But there's people cooking, there's people kind of, you know, um, steaming shirts and ironing stuff. And you kind of, you're like, wow, this is actually, this is about real life. This isn't about yeah. a shiny tech trade show. Yeah. This is yeah. about nitty gritty, you know, messy kitchens, this yeah. kind of stuff. But one thing that surprised me, uh, so I think two years ago, it was a bit tricky to find laptops at IFA. It was, everything was tablets. And this year it felt a little bit to me like the return of the laptop. A lot of people were showcasing laptops again with very fancy form factors, two-in-ones, all that. Uh, but it's as if consumers, or certainly the industry, has rediscovered the love of the laptop. That that startled me, but hey, it, it, it's clearly, I think I see a trend there. I didn't see that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't get to walk around as much as you did. So yes, no, I, I had a bit more time. Uh, that's probably what I was, that, I mean, that's the biggest thing, is that the size of the place is ridiculous. So, um, final question, guys, um, for anyone that is uh, considering a strategy for IFA for next year or, you know, even starting a plan for others like CES in January, which will be very soon, when you're thinking about timing, launching, what are some of the, the lessons and things that you saw um, that you will take in consideration and back to, back to the clients? Well, I think it's about finding a niche. And, and what I mean here is um, so some companies pre-announced stuff you know Samsung the Note 8 a week before Fitbit their smartwatch the Ionic I think three or four days before Um, and then they follow it up with a second announcement either just before or at IFA they may work with the organizers to have one of the keynotes there that was what Fitbit did Samsung had their own event on the first press day before uh, IFA itself opened Huawei, for example, they 
did one of the official keynotes, but they did a fairly major announcement on that day, and it was already the second day of IFA, or rather the fourth day if you include the press days. It was on the Saturday. And, and that is quite unusual, but what it really, what I mean here is there's not a best thing to do or a recipe, but it is finding a space where what you say gains the most attention, where you have a little bit of ownership of the time. The journalist time, the media attention time. Uh, and if you get that right, then you can hit a sweet spot. It's still tricky, but finding that sweet spot is crucial. Yeah, it, it is. It is difficult, um, and there's an, there is something to be said about surprise and delight. I think journalists, once you get them somewhere, your job isn't done. You then need to actually deliver something that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you either get nothing <coughs> written or no one comes to the next press conference. Yeah. And so, the while there's a, there's a lot to be said about pre-launching or or teasing kind of bits and pieces, I think actually going in and having you know having the other thing to say at the end of the press conference or whatever it might be, whether it's a partnership or, or whatever it might be. Is, is really important. So, uh, although there's um, there's definitely some merit in pre-announcements and mm. and uh, and leaks to play their own you know play their own role to some extent. You know that the hype around things um, through leaks is interesting, but ultimately having something to something surprising to say, I, I mm. think can can go a long way to make those yeah. headlines. I mean, you must not be boring. You can't just say, "Oh, let's do something at IFA," uh, without knowing what it will be. You can't just fashion a story out of nothing because actually the backlash might be quite bad. If and this is the, we're talking from the privileged comms position, I know that it's, it's really challenging when you've got orders to meet deadlines, you know, and all that kind of stuff from, from a yeah. production brand, you know, product point of view, but I think you can you can really hit the nail on the head when it comes to comms, if you're going to go to a trade show go and do it properly um, or reconsider your objectives, I think that's the, the biggest kind of point really. Yeah, If you don't meet the deadlines and just take a step back. So I, I know of a, a very large company that wanted to make a big announcement and they just weren't in the right place and they cancel it. And I think that is the right thing to do for them because otherwise they would have just really disappointed people and that's no way to go. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, I think you've got to, you've got to pick your right moment and you've got to, you've got to think about things otherwise um, you get left in a sea of sameness or you're left with a kind of a, a, a dead duck when nothing really gets. Yeah. Any, any traction at all and you go well that was a failure yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know IFA and CES and Mobile World Congress will be unforgiving because there are so many other people there ready to fill the vacuum and uh, there is no vacuum at IFA it's so intense uh, but you don't have to own one of the big keynotes uh, sprinkled across all these events the little talks and as long as you make sure the right people listen to them there can be an audience of 15 it doesn't matter if these are the right 15 people for you, you've got your home run. You, but, but even there are plenty of opportunities. Just really plan months and months ahead. That's the only way you can succeed. But then it really is rewarding. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I know you have uh, probably got to get back to all those emails that have been building up whilst you're at IFA and, and everything that's going on. Uh, and please collect your loyalty stamp on the way out um, of the door. But thanks again and um, thanks everyone for listening. Please subscribe and listen in and see you again next time.